Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Please check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. Again, Mark chapter 2. We're going to be begin in verse number 1. And the word of the Lord reads, And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And as he preached the word to them, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned him, questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or or say, Rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified, and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. This is the word of the Lord. There are a lot of great stories and a lot of memorable stories in the Bible. I mean, who can forget the, the story of David and Goliath? If you think of Bible stories, that's probably the, one of the first ones you think about. Like this little skinny young man with his slingshot, and he goes out and he does battle with, with, the, with this gigantic warrior that everybody's afraid of, right? And he defeats him. Or, or how about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? When I was a kid, that was like one of my favorite ones. Right? These three men who just refuse to bow down to the idol, and, and the king has them thrown in the furnace, and, and, and then he looks inside, and he sees that they're there with, with someone else, and it's God with them, and they come out, and they, they're, even their clothes don't even smell like, like smoke. Right? Or how about Joseph? Joseph is this, you know, this, this, the, the, the father's favorite child and the jealous brother sell him into slavery and then suddenly he becomes like the second in command of all of Egypt and he says, you know, what you meant for, for evil, God meant for, for good. Or, or how about Jacob? <laughs> Jacob actually wrestling with God. I mean, <clears throat> if, if there was an experience to be had, that's it, right? Um, and, and, or how about the, you know, the time when Jesus gets angry and he makes a whip and he goes into the temple, right? And he, he drives out all of the people that are doing business there, selling stuff and changing money in the temple. It says that, that he was turning over tables and, and, you know, and scattering money everywhere. I would really, like if there's something I would like to see, I'd like to see that, right? Because we always think of Jesus as this little meek, you know, you know, soft-spoken person. We never, never think about him as, as being passionate and fiery like that. There are a lot of great, memorable stories in the Bible, but one of the most memorable to me and one of the best stories, I think, is this one right here. Jesus is in a crowded room, and there is not any way possible to get through the door and wiggle to get close to Jesus, right? That's how crowded this room is, right? Because, but, but, but these men, they show up on the scene, right? And they're desperate to help their friend and to get close enough to, for Jesus to heal them, and, and they don't let 
simply like a crowd stop them. Right? They, they climb up on the roof and they begin tearing the roof apart in order to lower this man to Jesus. Now, I want you to just think about that. Sometimes when we read the Bible, we just need to stop and think about the details. Think about this room right here. I have seen this room really full. In fact, recently it was, it was all full with, um, with, with Tiny's, Tiny's Memorial. Every, every seat was full, right? Every, all the seats back there were full, right? And, and the foyer was full, and there were people lined up on, on both sides. I mean, this was, it was a crowded room, right? But I've actually seen it fuller than that. In fact, Kim's, when her grandfather, George, uh, passed away, we had his memorial service here, and that man was loved by everyone. And so this place was completely filled up, you know, people from, from front to back all the way to, you know, the, the walls were almost completely covered, and then the windows were open because it was warm, and there were people lined up on the ramp out there, two and three deep, so they could peek inside. The foyer was completely full. The, the stoop outside was, was full of people trying to, to stand and see, and, and there were people out there on the steps just trying to hear what was, what was going on. And even then, right, it wasn't like really full. I mean, because there was all this space here. There's the space down the aisle here. There's this space here and all this behind me. There, there, was, there, there could have been, you know, a person could still actually, right, uh, come up here and, and, and actually be in this spot right here if they really wanted to, right? But, but think about, imagine if this particular room was just completely filled with people. There were like sitting on the floor, completely piled in here, as full as it could get, and it was physically impossible to squeeze another human being in here. That is what it was like for this story, right? Jesus is in a super crowded room, and no one can get to him. And, and, and just imagine someone so desperate, right, that, 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 that they begin to tear through the roof, Right? I mean, roofs in the first century, not kind of like the roofs that we understand. We think of tiles and we think of like shingles and stuff. But roofs in the first century were basically beams covered by branches and grass. And then it was compacted layers of earth and clay. Right? It, was, it was compacted. It was pretty sturdy, too, because people could actually get up and walk around on the roof. They could actually store things up there. In fact, many people actually slept at night in the summertime on their roofs to stay, to stay cool. And so these roofs are pretty solid. And so if you can imagine you're sitting in this crowded room, right? And, and you're packed in like sardines. You know, you know, everybody's like in each other's comfortable space. And Jesus is preaching the gospel. And you begin to hear kind of like this scratching and clawing sound coming from the roof, right? And then occasionally you kind of hear this thud as people begin to, to tear into the mud and the clay to dig through the roof. And then suddenly, you know, dust and debris starts to fall little by little as they go to work and the noise and the dust levels continue to, to increase and then psh, they break through the roof. And then as the light comes through, there's a lot of dust and debris falling from the ceiling and people are, are coughing, Right? Right? But, but they keep going because they just made the hole. Now they've got to make it big enough for a man to get through. Like this, thing's, this is not just something that happened all of a sudden. This, this is taking a period of time, if you can imagine that. This would have been really crazy disruptive to, to, to what was going on as, as people were beginning to cough and, and hack and, you know, do that little, when you, you go, you know, that, that little thing, right? And, and, and dust is getting in their mouths and their nose and their lungs and, and right? And, and, and just as the digging finally stops, you get this, you know, and the dust begins to clear, right? Then, then suddenly this man on his stretcher is being lowered down from the ceiling in front 
of Jesus. And notice, he doesn't react the way that we would react, right? Because we'd be like, what are you doing? Like, are you out of your mind? Like, you guys have just ripped the roof off this guy's house. Like, like you're making a mess. Look, look at these people. They're all covered with dust and debris. They can't even like, hardly talk right now. No, Jesus doesn't react that way at all. He has, he has compassion for this man. Right? He's moved by, by their faith, and he stops what he's doing, and he heals him. And, and by the end of the story, this man actually gets up and walks. This paralytic man who had to be carried around by four other men gets up, and he picks up his own bed, and he walks out under his own strength. In the, in the middle of this, this mess, because it had to be, right? Like, has anybody ever had a ceiling drop in your house before? Like, yeah. Isn't it messy? Like, right? Yeah. So you can imagine, in the middle of this mess, Jesus has compassion for this, for this man. And it, it's a crazy story, if you really think about it, from beginning to end, right? And it's crazy enough to be memorable, but what I want you to know is there is actually so much to this story, so much more than simply these men, you know, tearing through the roof to get, their, to get, get help for their friend and for Jesus to heal them. There's, there's more than, than the story of Jesus being compassionate to a man in spite of, of these circumstances, because in this story, we're going to actually see a very clear picture of who Jesus is and, and the gospel that Jesus preaches and how people are to respond to that gospel and how we're to live in light of the gospel. And this morning, I want to begin to walk through um, this incredible, memorable story. And I say to begin to walk through because there is so much here, it's going to take two weeks to cover. Um, I mean... Like this week, we're going we're to cover the first half, and then next week, we're going to cover the second half. And believe me, I actually began the week thinking I was going to get all the way through this text, right? I really believed that this Sunday, I was going to go from, from, from verse 1 to verse 12 and be able to cover all the details I need to cover. And, and I certainly wanted to, because my goal is not for us to be in the book of Mark for like two years, right? But, but as I was writing my notes, and I kept making observations, and, I, and, and the Lord kept speaking in my heart, and I was just like, Lord, this is a lot, Right? And, and knowing that I already kind of have this tendency to go long, right? So what I did was I decided to break this up in, into two parts, okay? So you're welcome, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so again, turn with me to, um, to Mark chapter 2, and we're going to get through verses 1 through 5. And it reads, And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And so, kind of contextually, if you'll remember, the book of Mark begins with John the Baptist preaching, and he's baptizing people in the Jordan River, and he is proclaiming the coming Messiah, the one who he's not even worthy to untie his, his shoes, right? And then Jesus shows up on the scene and, and is baptized by John. John obviously protests, but Jesus said, this is right for us to do this. Jesus got baptized because he wanted to identify with John's message, and he wanted to identify with us, us lowly sinners, and then he went, then, then the moment that he actually gets baptized, though, we see an important theological picture. We see that we see the Trinity, right? As the, as the Holy Spirit descends upon him as he comes out of the water, and then God from heaven, the Father, God the Father speaks and says, you are my son in whom I'm well pleased. And in that moment, we see clearly all three members of the Trinity clearly distinct from one another, right? 
And then after that, Jesus goes out in the wilderness and he's tempted for 40 days by the devil. And after that's over, Jesus then begins his earthly ministry. And he begins by preaching the gospel, the good news. And he calls people to respond to the gospel by repenting and believing. He says, repent and believe the gospel. And shortly after that, Jesus is is preaching around the Sea of Galilee. And then he begins to call his first disciples, right? Andrew, uh, Simon, which is Peter, James and his brother John, and they all go to the city of Capernaum, which is the home of, of, of Peter and Andrew. And while they're there on a particular sun, uh, Sabbath day, which is a Saturday, uh, he and the disciples, they go to the synagogue for worship, kind of like we're gathered here for worship. That's exactly what they were doing. And Jesus was then invited to read the text for the day, and he was invited to preach. And when Jesus preaches, he preaches a message so powerful that it astonishes everyone. Now, Mark doesn't tell us what he preached about. He doesn't even really kind of go into that detail, right? But everyone, it must have been a powerful message because it says they were astonished at how he preached with such great authority, right? And before the service is completely over, then this man who, who's possessed by a demon shows up and confronts Jesus, and Jesus demonstrates his power by using his word to cast the demon out, Right? And as we talked about last week, after this was over, the disciples and him uh, immediately headed over to Peter's house, probably for lunch, right? But when, when, when they got there, they tell Jesus about Peter's mother-in-law, who, is, who has a fever and gravely ill, and, and Jesus heals her. And then that evening, when it, the evening comes of that same day, the people start showing up from around town because they've heard that Jesus can heal, right? And, and the entire city came out, basically, is what the text says, um, and Jesus spends the evening and part of the night healing people and casting out demons. And so it's a really, really long day there in the city of Capernaum. And the very next day, Jesus gets up early in the morning because he wanted to go spend some time alone with God the Father in prayer. And he does so, and then his disciples hunt him down and say, everybody's looking for you, because of course everybody's looking for him, because he's healing everybody, right? But he says to them, he says, he says, you know, I need to, we need to go to other towns so that I can actually um, preach the gospel there. That is why I came. I came to preach the gospel. And so that's what Jesus did. Him, him and his disciples leave Capernaum, and they begin to go around to all the other towns around Galilee, and they begin to preach the gospel in synagogues and then cast out demons. He was preaching the good news, and he was healing people. And it was during this time that Mark records a story of a man who had leprosy, that Jesus encountered, and Jesus healed him. And he said to him, you know, go make the offering that's appropriate for, for your healing, but don't tell anybody about, about this. And it says right here in verse 45, but he went out and began to, to talk freely about it and spread the news so that Jesus could no longer enter a town, but was in desolate places, uh, and people were coming to him from every quarter. And so Jesus' popularity is on the rise, and he could hardly go anywhere without a crowd surrounding him. Right? Whether it was indoors or outdoors, everywhere he went, people were flocking to him. But after some days on the road, right, I'm, sh- I'm sure that they were tired. Jesus and uh, his disciples returned to Capernaum, um, most likely to Peter's house, because that was his staging area and his base of operations during the early part of his ministry. Um, and so basically they finish up this road trip and then they come home. But since Jesus is crazy popular at the time, It says, it was reported that he was at home and many gathered together so that there was no room, not even at the door. And so Jesus, again, whether he wants to or not, finds himself surrounded by another crowd. He's at Peter's house and the house is just overflowing with people. 
People are all squished together, you know, trying to see Jesus. And this is something I think that we, as Americans, kind of, we struggle to relate to because we like our space. Like, you go to, to stores and, 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 and people give each other room, right? But then you go to, like, L.A. where you encounter other cultures and suddenly people get really, really up in your business, right? They really get close to you. Because people like that, like, especially in the Philippines, they, they don't have a problem putting 10 people on a little love seat, right? They just squish together, right? And so that's what this is like. People are packed together so much that, that even you can't even get through the door. So there's no way in. And I want you to realize, though, and, and notice that in this moment... Jesus isn't healing people. He's surrounded by people who, you know, who probably want to be healed, but he's not healing them in this moment. It says that he was preaching the word to them. You see, Jesus was not healing or casting out demons at this point. He's preaching the gospel to them. Now, believe me, right, people were probably showed up looking for miracles, if we're going to be honest. I mean, I mean, that's why he was popular, right? I mean, people wanted to go see this Jesus guy. Why? Because they're, they're looking to see something amazing. They showed up probably looking to be healed or, or watch somebody get healed. But, it was, but that's not what he was doing here. He was preaching the gospel, right? Because that's why he came. But that's what, in fact, that's what he said in the last text. He says, I have come to preach the good news, right? And the thing that we need to remember of, of all the things that Jesus did, he came to save sinners. As the Apostle Paul reminds us in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, he says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's why Jesus, that that's Jesus' purpose and mission on the earth. And so Jesus is preaching the word of God to these people. He's telling them the good news. And then it says, verse 3, And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Which is what we talked about. Jesus is in his crowded room. He's preaching a message. These men climb up on the roof of Peter's house and they just begin to rip the roof off. And the dust and the debris fall in, interrupting the sermon. And then they lower him you know, down. These men, they, they lower their friend through the hole in the roof so that he could be near Jesus. And it says, and he saw their faith. I want you to realize that this is a part of a story, a part of this story that has a great deal to teach us. And we're going to actually spend most of our time here today. And the thing I want you to notice from the, from the very beginning is that this story, right, is, is that the way that we draw near to Christ is through faith. That is how you come to him, right? It is through faith. It's the only way that you come to Jesus, you don't come by your works. You don't come because you're a good person. Because you're not. You don't come, right, trying to, to do enough good works and make them outweigh your bad works. You don't come based on your parents' religion. Well, you know, my grandma was Baptist and my dad was Baptist. You know, that didn't work either. You come to Christ by faith. It is by faith that we move toward Jesus. It is by faith we come into his presence. It is by faith we come to him seeking what he has promised to give. And we possess faith in him because we believe that he can do what he has promised to do. And he has promised to heal us. The prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 53, 5, 
But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Jesus came to heal. He came to pay our debts. He came to save us. As Jesus himself said, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. We possess faith in Christ because we believe that Jesus can absolutely do what he has promised to do. Now these men came seeking physical healing for their friend. We come to Jesus because he has promised to heal us of our sins. He's promised to rescue us from the greatest problem that a person can possibly face, which is the awful and terrible wrath of a holy and righteous God. He promised to save us from the judgment of God. He, he promises to clothe us in his righteousness so we can have a relationship with him, the relationship that we were all created to have. And we like this paralytic, right? We, we recognize something's wrong, right? Something's wrong with us. We're broken, spiritually broken, spiritually dead, born sinners, born the children of wrath, and, and we are helpless on our own to fix it. We cannot, within ourselves, heal us. Right? We can't heal ourselves any more than this paralytic man could heal himself. In fact, the paralytic, paralytic man probably could heal himself more readily than, than we as sinners could heal ourselves. And to make it worse is the world cannot help you. The world cannot heal us. Yeah, we can certainly strive to be better people. And we can read all the self-help books that there are out there. I mean, there's you know, a, bi a billion-dollar industry of self-help books. In fact, it's so popular and so lucrative that pastors are writing self-help books like, you know, like your best life now or something like that. So you can read self-help books and you can watch all kinds of videos on YouTube about how to be successful and how to be a better human being. But the world cannot help us. It cannot heal us. We cannot, it cannot deal with the problem of our, our sin. And, and neither can the love of our parents help us. As much as they love us. As much as you love your children. As much as our parents would sacrifice for us. As much as our parents would do anything for us. They cannot heal us of our sin. And philosophy can't help either. And neither and neither can, can religion. All those things can do is encourage us to try, to, to try harder and, and to work more and to do more and to work hard to be the best that we possibly can be and hopefully hold our breath, cross our fingers. But in the end, that won't save us. We, like this paralytic, we're helpless in our condition except for the promise of Christ. We, like this man, need to be healed. And there's only one person that can do that. That's Jesus Christ. The only person who can heal you is Jesus. And he has promised to heal you. And our faith is, is us believing and holding on to that promise. And, and notice this man's friends had faith that Jesus could help him. They believed it with all their heart. They had no doubts. And because of that, they were, they were not going to let anything get in the way of this man coming to Jesus. That's why they were willing to tear a roof open. They didn't let anything at all get in the way. And, and, and we can learn from this because we should never let anything get in the way of us and Jesus Christ. Because faith doesn't let things get in the way of Jesus. I mean, think about this. 
These men tore the I mean, they, they vandalized Peter's house so that this other man could be close to Jesus. Now, now contrast that with what we talked about last week about the people who were sick and demon-possessed and in great pain and, and really at the edge of life. And they'd heard that Jesus could heal, but they wouldn't go to him until sundown because they were afraid to violate the Sabbath rules. They let their religion get in the way of them and Jesus Christ. They let their religion get in the way of Jesus bringing healing to them. They, they heard that Jesus could heal them, right? But they didn't fully believe. They hesitated to go during the Sabbath, right? Because they didn't have complete faith in Christ, they thought it just might be possible, but, but these other men, they did have faith. They knew for a fact that Jesus could help this man. They didn't doubt it at all. And because of that, they were, they're not going to let some crowd get in the way of this man getting the help that he needs. And they certainly were going to let something like a little roof get in the way of that. And we should never let anything get in the way of us and Jesus Christ. Because he's the creator of the universe. He's the author and the perfecter of your faith. He is all that you will ever need. He is your comforter, your strength, your hope. As, as we sing, he is our all in all. But the reality is there are times that we do let things get in the way of that. That's why we don't spend regular time in prayer with God. That's why we don't come to him and pour our hearts out to him regularly and let him know every little thing that we need and let him know everything that's going on in our life. We don't pray, right? Because we let things get in the way. And the thing that we need to realize is, 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 is Christ. Because of him, there are no barriers between you and God. Right? God himself comes to live inside of you if you're in Christ. There's no barriers between you and him except the ones that you put up. You don't have to go to a building to be with God. You don't have to go to a temple to be in the presence of God. You don't have to go high up on a mountain in some desolate place to be with God. When Christ died on the cross, it says the veil in the temple that separated God and man, that veil was literally torn in two from top to bottom, demonstrating that there was nothing in the way between us and God anymore. The Holy Spirit, when you put your trust in Jesus Christ, comes to live inside of you, which means you have unlimited access to God all of the time. The God that came to save you, the God that strengthens you for difficult situations, whether, whether at home or at work or at school, the God who can heal your marriage, the God who can restore your relationship with your children, the God, as the Bible says, who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. We have unlimited access to God, but we are letting things get in the way of that. Well, Pastor, you just don't understand. I just, I, I just don't have enough time. I, I just got so many things going on. I'm just so tired. You know, I start to pray and my eyes get droopy. You know, I just, I just forget. I, you know, I, I meant to. I just, I just keep forgetting. I don't know why I do that. I just, I just don't know what to pray. I don't know how to pray. We let immaterial things get in the way of us and our relationship with God. That's also why we don't spend regular time in the Word listening to His voice. God loved you so much that thousands of years ago, 
before you were born, he left for you his word. He left for you the answers to your questions, your toughest questions, the, the worst questions. He left for you his recorded voice. There are people who have, who have loved ones that pass away, that they have a voicemail on their phone that will not switch cellular companies because they don't want to lose that last voicemail because, because it's the last recorded message they have. It's the last recorded voice, and they, they want to hear that because it gives them hope. Okay, this right here is God's recorded voice for you, but it's more than a voicemail, right? It's more than a voicemail because it actively speaks to you today. It speaks for your life today. It's alive and active. As, as, as the Bible says, it says God's word is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And, and, and through it, God speaks directly to you individually. It does speak to groups of people, but it speaks to you individually. Revealing to you who God is and who you are in light of who God is. And it reveals to you how much God loves you. If you need encouragement, if you need hope, read the word and find out how much God loved you. Within his pages is wisdom to help you navigate through, the, through, through life and the complicated situations that you find yourself in. Within his pages is a promise of a hope that surpasses all that you could ever dream. As, as we sing this morning, peace so amazing, I can't hardly, I can't hardly think. That through his word, God actively speaks individually to you. But we let things get in the way of that. Oh, you know, Pastor, I'm just so busy. God, you know. I just, I just don't, I don't have time to sit down and read. I mean, I can read social media all day long, but it's a different story. And I'm just so tired. I mean, I start to read and my eyes get droopy and I just, you know. And, you know, Pastor, I'm just, I'm just not a reader. You know, by the way, you know that's not an excuse anymore, right? Cause, because, it, yeah, the, you can have the Bible read to you, right? right? We let things get in the way of God speaking to us through his word. Right? Now, now understand, these men tore the roof off of Peter's house to be with Jesus. Right? And many of us can't even pick up God's word to spend a little time with him. It's also why so many people who claim to be Christians are not connected to a church family. Because the Bible makes it clear, if you belong to him, you're part of his body, which means we belong to each other. We're part of each other. And we're not going to experience God fully the way that we are intended to experience him without each other. There are ways that we experience God and worship God that we cannot on our own. There's, there's a part of being a Christian in the Christian life, and there's a part of, of being with God that you cannot experience on your own, as, the, as Paul, the author of Hebrews, tells us. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet each other, which means meet with each other, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Part of being with God is to be with each other. Part of being with Christ is to be together. But we let things get in the way of that. We let life get in the way. We let hobbies get in the way. We let sports get in the way. I mean, it's football season. I mean, it's, it's playoff season, right? <laughs> Who's checking the scores? You don't have to answer that, okay? 
We let work get in the way, and sometimes we even let people get in the way. Right? Some people say, I don't go to church because of people. I can't stand people. And some people are more specific and say, well, it's because of certain people. I don't like him. Yeah. I don't like her. I don't like, I don't like none of their family. I don't even like anybody associated with none of them. Right? Or you know what? That whole group of people is just a bunch of hypocrites. Maybe. You know, I know him. And, and I know him outside of church. And I'm just telling you what, if you saw him outside of church, you wouldn't even let him back in that church. I don't even know why that you let him in here, right? Many people let other people get in the way of them in Christ. But hear me on this, all right? If you love Christ, if you really love Christ, you will love what Christ loves. And brothers and sisters, what Christ loves is he loves his church. He created the church. He sustains the church. He died for the church. He loves the church. And so if you love Christ, then you need to love his bride, the church. And we must never let anything get in the way of us and Christ. But notice, it says here, their faith. All of their faith. Not just one person's faith. Not just the faith of one man on a bed. But all of their faith. The faith of all these men. And, and what you need to realize is these men not only had the faith that, that Christ could heal, but that faith compelled them to take action on the behalf of their friend. They had enough faith to bring him to where Jesus was. And when they got there and, and he couldn't get there because the front door was all full up, they had enough faith to take him up on the roof and begin to tear Peter's house apart so they can bring him to Christ, which emphasizes a principle that all of us Christians need to learn and live by, which is this. We must be willing to do everything in our power to bring others to Christ. We must be willing to do whatever it takes to bring other people to Christ. I want you to hear me on this. This is the part where you get really uncomfortable. We must be willing to talk to people. We must be willing to get out of our comfort zones. We must be willing to push past our own personalities. We must be willing to take risks in order to bring others to Christ. These men tore off a roof of some, a stranger's house. Why? Because they knew beyond all doubt that Jesus could heal this man. They were convinced of it. They knew that he was his only hope. And they knew he was not going to get better on his own. And people don't get better on their own. They knew that no one else could help. His only hope was to bring him to Christ. And we need to live the same way. But for some reason, we don't. Examine your hearts. Now, some of you, maybe, but the majority of you, including this guy up here, we don't live this way. Now, if you're a Christian, I'm going to ask you, I just want to ask you a question. I just want to, I, I want to appeal to you. If you're a Christian, do you believe sincerely that Jesus is the only way? And do you believe that Jesus is the hope of the world? 
Do you believe that Jesus can do what he promised to do, which is save people from their sins? Do you believe that Jesus is the answer to everyone's greatest problem? And do you believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for sins? Do you believe that anyone who comes to faith will be saved and have eternal life? And do you believe that those who don't are lost? And do you believe that those who are lost face a horrific eternity of pain and torment? Well, if you believe that, if we believe that, then why in the world are we so unwilling to go talk to other people about Christ? If we believe it, you know that he can save people. You know that he can heal them. So why are we not willing to do whatever it takes to bring others to Christ? Why won't we go knocking on, on doors of our neighbors to invite them to church? Why aren't you willing to go into the community and invite people to church events and, and, or just simply ask them, hey, how can I pray for you? How can I, can I help you? Why are we so unwilling to knock on people's doors? Why is that even like, I mentioned like knocking on people's doors and people go, right? Why are you so unwilling? Why am I so unwilling to engage in conversations with strangers around us, right? So that we can talk with them about Christ or give them a tract because I'm telling you, it's really convenient to take that little, little thing, Mabob, and like stand there and stare at it in a crowded room and encounter hundreds of other strangers and never, ever make contact with them. Do you really believe the things that you say that you believe? I have been praying for this church to rise up in faith and go out into the community and storm the gates of hell and share the hope of Christ with all that we come in contact with for years. You will hear that in, in, in my prayers over and over again if you've been here very long. And I've talked about mobilizing this church to go out in our community, and I've talked about lots of ideas how to do that. I mean, I don't know if you've noticed, but we've been talking about the mission of Jesus Christ for a long time now. We've been talking about being all in. We've been talking about why Jesus came. We've been talking about the fact that we're all called to a mission. In fact, if you remember Vision Sunday, we made it our goal, right? We said that we're going to be a people of the book who know the Bible. We're going to be people who, who are on their knees in prayer, and we are going to make sure that every person in this community hears the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I have, I've been mentioning this and talking about this you know, in, in, in ways that, that we can individually and we can corporately go out and engage this community. And I have, have come up with lots of ideas. I've read about lots of ideas. I have, I have I've seen all kinds of ideas. Right? And, 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 and I've been talking with, with, with groups of people. I have been talking to individuals and, and even as the whole church. And when I do, you should see the pushback I get. People get all irritated. Like, I'm like bothering them. People get all antsy. And people begin to tell me all the reasons why they can't or won't. Well, you know, I'm just really not comfortable with that. You know. Well, you know, I just, I just don't know enough about the Bible. Right? You know, I'm just, I'm just not confident to share my faith because what, what if they ask me questions? Right? You know, I'm, you might be wired up like that. Not me. I'm not wired up that way. 
Well, you know, there are other religious groups, right? They do that kind of stuff too, and we don't want to look like other religious groups, so we, we shouldn't. Well, you know, I think God, I know, what, I know what God, God wants me, what he wants me to do is he wants me to be nice to people. And he wants me to live in a way, right, that, that people see that I'm nice and I'm loving, and, and that way that, that by osmosis somehow they'll see it, and then they'll come around to me and ask me about Jesus instead of me telling them, right? I get all kinds of pushback of why we can't or shouldn't or won't walk out of here and go into this community with a purpose to share the hope of Christ with other people. Do you believe that Jesus has the power to save? Do you believe that unless they're saved, that they are lost? Do we understand that there are people that are dying that don't know Christ? We have lost community members recently. The urgency, we don't know when, we don't know when your time is. That's the thing. Then why would, don't we do everything in our power to bring others to Christ? I mean, look at our community. Just, just look around. The phrase that you keep hearing and maybe even saying over and over again is, man, this place just keeps getting worse and worse. Right? How many of you said, like, this isn't the boron I remember? Right? Yeah. Right? Crime is on the rise? I mean, people stealing gas out of my truck right here. Church! Homeless people moving in because they're just dumping them off here with no resources, right? Drugs. What are we going to do about that? Well, if there's anything that this community needs more than anything else, it's Jesus. Because only Jesus can save them. Only Jesus can really bring freedom from addiction. Jesus can restore relationships. Jesus can bring forgiveness. Jesus can restore hope. Jesus can help people grow up. Jesus can, can show men how they're supposed to live and be the leaders they're supposed to be of their families and their community. Jesus can show how, us how to take responsibility for our lives because there are a lot of people who just don't want to do that. They just want to just continue to live off other people. Jesus can transform lives in entire communities. What your friends need, what, you, what the members of your family needs, what your neighbors need, what this community at large needs is Jesus Christ. They need to be healed by him. But what is getting in the way of you bringing them to him? I mean, these guys took radical steps. I mean, when you think about this, right? Like, they carried him on a stretcher from God knows where, right? And then they took him up on top of this guy's house, like either through a stairs, you know what I mean, or, 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 or ladder, right? And then they begin to physically dismantle this roof of a stranger so that they can bring this man to Jesus. These are unusual, radical steps, right? They weren't like, you know, I'm not, I'm not comfortable, you know, climbing up on someone else's roof, you know, I'm just, oh, I'm, do we really have to tear the roof? I mean, he might get mad. Like, he, like, like that might really be inconvenient for everybody. I mean, we might get dirt on their heads. I mean, I mean what, what happens if he gets mad and he sues us and we have to pay for it? I mean, what if we, what if we get dirt and dust all over us and over everyone in there? What if it inconveniences the people that are there? What if they get angry, right? What if Jesus gets interrupted, you know, and in what he's doing? So maybe we should, 
let's just wait, right? Let's just, you know what, we'll just take him around the corner, and then hopefully Jesus will pass by him somehow, some way, and he'll notice our friend, right? And, and, and then he'll, no. These men didn't care about any of these things, right? Their friend was in need, and they loved their friend, and they knew that Jesus could help, and so they did what they could do. As radical as it was, they did what they could do. Why are we not willing to do the same? Part of the reason is, is because we live in the United States of America and we are a very comfortable people. And I want you to hear me on this. I don't want you to get me wrong. Okay? I am glad that I was born here. All right? I am, I, am, I am proud to be an American. Like when we sang, you know, America the Beautiful... Like, I was singing with all my heart. It was bringing me to tears. I love this country, and I hold the unpopular belief that the United States has been and still is the greatest nation that has ever existed. I believe it with all my heart. And I believe that the world is a better place because of the United States and what God has done through the United States. But on the downside, living here has made us very comfortable and very complacent. We don't live with a sense of urgency. We don't live for eternity. We live for the weekend. We live for vacations. We live for our kids' games. We live for retirements. But we don't live for eternity. And I'm not saying those things are bad. Those things are good things, but they're not as important as eternity. And for many Americans, and especially many Christians, the point of life is to work hard, to play hard, and save a little money for retirement so you can spend the rest of your days walking up and down a beach collecting seashells. The point of life is for you to be comfortable. The point of life is you to be secure. The point of life is you to be safe. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you're a Christian, that is not the point of your life. If you've been rescued from the pit of hell, if Christ saved you from your sin, if you belong to the family of God, the purpose of your life is to glorify God in all that you do. That you're to glorify Him and enjoy Him forever in the way that God has ordained for you to glorify Him. Is to, is to be on mission, being a part of what Christ has called you to do, to go out and make disciples. Every single Christian is called to go out into the world and make disciples. We are, we are to go out into the world and bring people to Jesus. That's why our mission statement says what it says. We are a loving community of Christ followers, passionately pursuing Jesus deeply connected to one another and completely committed to sharing the hope of Jesus Christ with our community and our world. That's what you were made for. That's what you were saved for. But we live in a country with a culture that, that tells us that, that life is about us. It's all about you and your stuff and your individual choices and being comfortable and Whatever makes you feel self-fulfilled. And we become apathetic about bringing people to Christ. All the while, our brother in Christ, Adam Young, risks going to jail simply for inviting people to church in Russia. Right? You see, when he tells somebody about Jesus, he's not, he's not facing an uncomfortable situation. When he tells somebody about Jesus, he isn't facing a fear of rejection. When he tells somebody about Jesus, he's not facing the inconvenience factor. He is facing the fact that his government can come to his life, shut down his church, take all his stuff, and, and take him and his entire family to jail. That's what he's facing. Or how about our brothers and sisters in Christ who live in China who are being rounded up by the government? 
and shipped off to prisons where people are not even hearing from them anymore because they refused to stop gathering together and they refused to stop evangelizing the lost. The pastor of the, uh, of the early Rain Covenant Church in China was arrested uh, just after Christmas, or just, yeah, just right around Christmas, along with many other Christians, and the members of the church continued to worship and evangelize. And the government came in and seized the building and locked the doors. And the congregation just kept showing up outside the building to worship and, and preach the word of God. And the, the government just keeps coming back and arresting them and taking them away. Brothers and sisters, these people understand that the purpose for their life is not to live a comfortable life. Their purpose is to glorify God by bringing the lost to Christ by whatever means is necessary, regardless of the cost. Like these men who are willing to do whatever it takes to bring their friend to Christ. And that's how we should live if we really believe the gospel. And so the question as we start the new year that you need to ask yourself and wrestle with is do I really believe the gospel? Do I really believe that Jesus is the answer? Do I really believe that there's no hope outside of Christ and those who don't have Christ are lost, hopelessly lost? Now, if the answer is no, you don't believe that, well then, everything else I'm going to say is really doesn't matter, so you can just tune me right out. Right? But I would, I, would, I would appeal to you, though, if, if you say no, then I would encourage you to really like study the word and repent and believe the gospel. And, and if you're ready to do that, then I'm, I'm happy to, to talk with you about that after the service. Come see me. Or just put your name on one of those information request cards and, and, a, and, a, and some contact information. And I'll set up an appointment where we can talk about what it means to, to follow Christ. But if, if the answer to that question is yes, that you do believe the gospel, then the next question you need to answer yourself, ask, for your, ask of yourself is, what are you allowing to get in the way of that? Because we all are letting something get in the way. What are you allowing to get in the way of your time in prayer? What are you allowing to get in the way of your time in the word? What are you allowing to get in the way of bringing people to Christ, especially, you know, bringing people to Christ? And, and I left you there three spaces, okay? I'm not going to fill them in for you because I can't answer that question for you. Each one of you individually has your own things in your own lives that are getting in the way. Do I believe the gospel, and what am I letting get in the way of that? Now, it might be a fear of rejection. Some people, that's a natural thing. We all experience that. Maybe, you know, it's laziness. I never suffered from that ever. Right. Is it because, you know, I have so many things I've filled my life up with, that I have all these activities that I don't have time for God? Well, maybe. Is it because I really just don't want to talk to people about Jesus? Or is it just because I simply just don't feel like this is, this is a, it's a waste of time, you know? People are not going to listen to me. What is it that's getting in the way of your life and your walk with Christ and you bringing people to Jesus? And then once you answer that question of what's in the way, then, then what you need to do is answer the next question is, what are you going to do about it? You see, discipleship and following Jesus is about growth. It's about growing towards spiritual maturity. Jesus says we are to die to ourselves daily and pick up our cross and what? Follow him. What are you going to remove? What are, you, what are you going to do to remove the things that are in the way of you and Christ? What are you going to do to remove the things that, that are in the way of you bringing people to Christ? And again, I've left you some spaces to fill that in because I can't answer that question for you. I really would encourage you to spend some time and, and think about this and spend some time with God. Perhaps, you know, it's, it's to stop making excuses. If there's something that... that, that I'm good at, 
is that one, making excuses. Just ask my wife. I'm serious. Like, there are, like, things that, are, that, that I started around the house that, that I, you know, done, like, started, like, three years ago that ain't finished yet, right? Yeah. Or maybe, you know, you're just, you're going to have to finally fully commit to actually making that appointment with God and keeping that, you know, or maybe, you know, you're just going to have to get out of your comfort zone and actually begin talking to people and your friends and your loved ones about Christ. I don't, I don't know what the answer is. Only you can answer that. But, but once you do answer those questions, then, then you have to answer another, one more question. And that is, when are you going to do it? Because it's not enough to set goals. It's not enough to acknowledge the truth. It's not enough to sit here with your heart pierced going, Pastor, just beat me up right now. The Holy Spirit's piercing my heart right now. You know, and then walk out of here and then never think about this again. It's not enough to agree. It's about taking action now. You see, faith is about taking action in what you believe. So decide what you're going to do and then decide when you're going to do it. And if I can leave you with this last little thing for 2019 and the rest of your life, that you would make a commitment along with me, that you would let nothing, nothing, nothing get between you and Christ, and you would let nothing get in the way of you bringing other people to Christ all the rest of the days of your life. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, change my heart. Change all of our hearts. And help us, Lord, to walk in this. Help us to recognize the gravity of the truth that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to the world and he died to save me from my sins. It's the greatest possible news that could ever be spoken. And that you have made a way that there's not anyone that should have to perish save that they just don't turn to you in repentance and faith. And Father, let that not be because of me. Let it not be because I'm too shy or unwilling to share the hope of Christ with someone. Lord, life is so short. Pierce our hearts for this truth. These men, they went and they tore the roof off somebody's house so that way they, this man could be healed from his paralysis, Lord. And you have the greatest possible healing available to all who will turn to you. The forgiveness of sins. And, in, and then in addition to that, you said that you've come to give us life abundant. And in addition to that, you said that you'd give us peace that surpasses all understanding. And that you can heal broken hearts. And that you can mend marriages. And you can fix relationships. And you can, Lord God, straighten out people's lives, Lord. And your grace is just so abundant and poor, being poured out on our lives, Lord. Father, let us be motivated by that bring the broken and the lost to you. Lord, let us be like these four men who are willing to do whatever it takes to see that they come to you, Lord. And I pray, Father God, that you would raise up a people in this church today, Lord, that would go out into this world and storm the gates of hell and share the hope of Jesus Christ with every member of our community and the, and the world beyond. And that Boron would be a beacon of hope for the rest of the world. I pray for revival in this church and revival in this, this community and in our nation at large. And I thank you for that. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. You've been listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead, a production of First Baptist Church in Boron, California. Our website address is fbcboron.org. And would you please consider partnering with us financially as we work to share the hope and the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and our world.